welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from Al Franken, Radio Nation, Rachel Maddow, Mother Jones Radio, The Young Turks, and Willie Rich. Thank you for joining us uh, again. You were just on it's the show a pleasure. on, on Monday. Monday. Yeah. Yep, my regular yeah. Monday slot. Right, you were a yeah. regular guest on the show, but not only that, but you are the Air America pollster. Uh, that's right, uh, and uh, we do, of course, cutting-edge polls here, and we have a new one. Yes, I understand. Uh, uh, we called 1,208 people in all 50 states to get their attitudes on immigration. Okay, now 1,208, is that your normal sample? Yes, uh, we always do 1,208 uh, because uh, Gallup does 1,207, and <laughs> we take pride in being uh, slightly more thorough than uh, Gallup here at Air America. All right, now uh, what did you find out? Well, we wanted to find out people's attitudes towards illegal immigrants. It's, mm-hmm. of course, a huge issue now right up on Capitol Hill. There's been this controversy. We know that we're getting this strong backlash against losing control of the borders, so we wanted to dig a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Hence the... the- 1,208. Exactly, exactly. We asked the respondents, how do you feel about illegal immigrants in America? Mm -hmm. And uh, 31% said they just hate illegal immigrants. Hate them, huh? Uh, Right. Uh, 27% said they sympathize with illegal immigrants who are here to better themselves. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, Keep it neutral. And uh, 42% of the respondents said they don't know how they feel about illegal immigration. Hmm. Okay, well, that's a a big group. Yes. Uh, So, of course, we wanted to find more uh, about these don't knows. Right. Uh, So we asked them, are you an illegal immigrant? Uh, Now, this is interesting. 21% said C. C. Yes. Norm, I know what C means. No, no, I mean 21% said C. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Okay. okay. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, Now, 63% of the don't knows said no, they were not illegal immigrants. Mm -hmm. And a surprising 16% of the don't knows said they don't know if they're illegal immigrants. That's interesting. Yes. Uh, so we asked the donos the next logical question. Are you an immigrant? Mm. And 27% of the donos said C. C. Yes, uh, C. Right. Mm. 49% of the donos said they're not immigrants. And 24% of the donos said they don't know if they're immigrants. Wow. Mm-hmm. So we asked these donos, why don't you know if you're an immigrant? Now, 71% said they don't understand the question. Oh, I see, I see. Right, they don't speak English. Now, let me ask you this. Did, did any of your, did your interviewers speak Spanish as well as English? Well, we asked more respondents than Gallup, but in order to do so, we have to cut a few corners. So, unfortunately, in our survey on immigration, we had no Spanish-speaking interviewers. Uh, we did have an interviewer who could read ancient Greek. Uh, he was an unemployed college classics professor. Uh, right here from GW, actually. Uh, but he didn't know a word of Spanish. Okay, well, let's just keep going. Mm. Okay, so 71% didn't understand the question. Yes, and 1% of the don't knows, uh, that in our sample is three people, mm-hmm. said they were born to gypsies on an airplane. <laughs> Really? Three, three people said they were born to gypsies on an airplane. Uh, well, they were triplets. 
Norm, are, are your are your surveys scientific? Uh, actually, we meet every standard laid out by the American Association of Public Opinion Researchers, uh, except one. What's that? Don't interview triplets. <laughs> All right, we'll keep going. Okay, and 28% of the don't knows who said they don't know if they're an immigrant said they don't know why uh, they don't know uh, they're immigrants. And what does this all mean, Norm? Uh, well, Al. Oh, you can do better than that. Let's try that again. What does this all mean, Norm? I don't know. Norm Ornstein, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. proposal does have provisions for uh, a wall on uh, metropolitan areas, uh, but we do not agree with the House bill about a 700-mile-long wall, which is what they have proposed. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Arlen Specter saying on this week why he doesn't think the U.S. needs to build a 700-mile-long fence, as in the House passed bill. But he does want some walls. Wolves, lions and tigers and migrants. Oh, my, lions and tigers and migrants. Oh, my, and communists and terrorists and Muslims. Oh, my. Doesn't all this talk about security, security, fortress, walls, doesn't it begin to ring any bells for you people this country right now is on the verge of a major debate about immigration and as far as i can see we are witnessing a major rerun of the whole strong man v girly man shoot first ask questions later the same stoke up the fear routine that has dominated the last three election cycles we should know enough to recognize what we're hearing, people, and to tell those folks to stop trying to change the subject. The subject isn't this or that one or 11 million here illegally, this or that one trying to find a better life by coming to this country. It's the global impact of U.S. policies. Are the decisions being made in this precious country of ours in our name, are they making life better or worse for people here and for people People with whom we share this planet. In the last few weeks, I don't know where you live, but there have been more than 50 demonstrations described by some cities as the largest in their history. In Milwaukee, in Providence, in Trenton, Minneapolis, Knoxville, Seattle, St. Louis, Staten Island, Chicago, Washington, Portland, Grand Rapids, Tucson, Phoenix, Atlanta, L.A. Why? Because this month... And this coming week sees the Senate pick up a debate on a series of immigration proposals that could define U.S. policy for a generation. On the TV talk shows, where was it this morning? What did you make of the great immigration debate? From what I saw, it was almost entirely absent. And when it did crop up, the big question was not the impact of U.S. policies on world migration patterns or the impact of domestic immigration policies on any immigrant or immigrant community or any community for that matter the conversation was about how will these proposals affect one man our president and politicians for run running for office 
It might have been different if just one of the scores of Latino elected leaders from around the U.S. had been included front and center in the debate. Los Angeles Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa, for example. He would have been a good choice. His city hosted the biggest demonstration it's ever seen, by all accounts. Or any of a zillion immigrants' rights groups who've come together for this week's demonstrations and will be uh, lobbying in Washington next week. Where were they in the debate? Nowhere. If they had been in the room, I think the conversation might have been a little different. For one thing, all this talking about polling, well, the polls show that Americans are very much against legal immigration and uh, they're very much against uh, any kind of program that would offer a uh, route for illegals to uh, citizenship. They're very against all of that. Well, you know what? They never poll people who don't speak English. (laughs) <laughs> they don't poll in immigrant populations or in their communities. You wait. The good folks at the New America Media are releasing a poll next week. They're polling immigrant populations, mostly on the West Coast. Just wait till you hear what they have to say. If somebody had been in the room who feels this issue personally, the conversation might have gone more like this. Somebody might have said, for more than 20 years, our country has tried to control immigration by criminalizing immigrants. What we're looking at today is more of the same. And now it's laid on top of five years of Patriot Act cutting up of the Constitution in the name of preventing terrorism. How much are we pouring into the so-called war on terror? Billions. Well, we've already poured billions into penalizing, deporting, uh, checking, monitoring, and detaining migrants, all without reducing the level of undocumented immigration or making our borders any safer, not one bit. Why? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Why? Well, perhaps it has something to do with the fact that people don't trek across the desert dodging vigilantes for fun or pay a few years' wages in advance to be packed into shipping crates from China on a whim, or walk from Guatemala just because, heck, they feel like it. Fortress America, we can lock ourselves down till we all live in Fort Knox, but people are still going to flee misery elsewhere and think they can live better here as long as First Strike America keeps fueling conflict where people live and Big Business America keeps turning their economies into client puppet states. At the heart of the immigration debate is that same old debate that never gets an airing. It's the why debate. It's the why debate. Why did they come here? Why do they hate us? Why do they love us? Why do they fear us? It's about why. It's a why debate and a how debate about how U.S. policies are affecting global development, human rights, self-determination, fairness. As long as we avoid that debate, we can destroy families as long as we avoid that why debate. And as long as we think we can talk immigration without talking international trade or international policy of different kinds. As long as we think we can talk about immigration policy without talking about global development. We can destroy any number of families, including families with U.S. citizens and legal permanent residents and the undocumented alike, and set us at each other's throats. We can do all that and lock ourselves down till we live in a place the size of a peanut and we'll never be any safer. Katrina Vanden Heuvel had it right this morning on ABC. Let's hear from uh, Katrina from The Nation magazine. 
Tancredo on your show today, he looked pleasant. But I will say that what's happened in our country is some of the white supremacist thinking that used to be represented by David Duke has been absorbed by people like Tancredo. And that's a very but dangerous, would, very dangerous, the draconian legislation I, in the House. I, I actually, it's un-American. It's un-American. Right on Katrina. And it's un-American. Why? Well, she wasn't given a chance to say that. It's un-American. Why? Because this country was built on a couple of things. One was hope. The idea that this is a place that is not ruled by one religion, one royal family, one rigid notion of who is entitled to what. This is a country that was founded on the idea that all men, and here's the flexibility again, because we've expanded that notion of man, haven't we, to all people, that all people have certain inalienable rights, not that they paid for, not that they earned because they were good, inalienable by virtue of their humanity. And even if the TV debate and most of the debate you're hearing all over the country on this question of immigration leaves out most of the facts about what's actually in either the House bill or the Senate proposals and talks instead, as they did on Meet the Press, about George Bush being to the left of Hillary Clinton on immigration, what does that mean without any details? These bills... Even if you're not going to hear it anywhere else, these bills are about criminalizing people who are working here in our communities, about making their effort to work and help their families a crime, and yours a crime to help them if you're inclined to do that. It's about setting up another class of workers permanently, an underclass, who can be paid less and treated worse, and setting up another group of people without legal recourse about whose moral character the Attorney General can pronounce at his discretion. And if that doesn't sound to you like the anti-Patriot Act, I don't know what it is. The Patriot Act was bad enough. Do we need another special one for people who weren't born here? With the addition that not only are we going to take from them all their legal rights, but we're also going to exploit their labor in the meantime? A subclass with working papers? I don't think so. And while we're about it, if what we're looking at is a global question, a global why question, and how question of how we are going to deal with global development. We've figured out the capital side. Capital can go everywhere, but what about the people side? If what we're looking at are patterns of development and how are we as a globe going to deal with them, why do we think only international immigration is a problem on our horizon? It occurred to me this afternoon, internal immigration is next. The gap between rich and poor isn't just growing between countries. It's growing right here in this one, and I know because I've been traveling all over. How long is it going to be, do you think, before we have border guards around New England and around Las Vegas and around Silicon Valley, and your relatives won't be allowed in if they don't have the right papers? We've heard that rhetoric before. We can't give too good benefits because, heck, we'll become a a, a vacuum, a sucking uh, spot for poor people to come here from uh, Mississippi and Alabama. We don't want to give homeless people too much or they might all come here from uh, the Gulf states. Just a thought.
Those are some of the stories we're keeping an eye on today. But now it's time to check back in with our old pal, the Drunk Prospector, to find out the final story on today's Rachel Maddow Show front page. First story on the front page today was about that arrest of the Deputy Press Secretary at Homeland Security. Second story on the front page today is about a specific thing that has been bugging me about the immigration debate. More demonstrations yesterday in protest of the uh, Republican anti-immigrant proposals in D.C. Uh, protests yesterday were in Kentucky and in Arizona, at least 60 cities planning rallies and vigils for Monday. In reaction to these rallies, you keep hearing conservatives go on and on about how awful it is that there are Mexican flags being waved at these demonstrations. And, you know, honestly, for pure PR purposes, a sea of American flags at these demonstrations would probably be a more Fox News friendly image. It's true. But is there something inherently wrong with flags flying from other countries? I don't hear anybody ranting and raving about people flying Irish flags, which happens everywhere all around the country among Irish Americans. And you'd have to pull over like every third car on the New Jersey turnpike if it suddenly became an offense to have the Italian flag somehow represented on your vehicle. Now, that's just pride in your heritage when you're that kind of immigrant. But if you're Latino, if you're an immigrant from Mexico, showing that flag is somehow disloyal now. Here's Bob Novak on, on Fox News. What really got my attention in L.A. was the omnipresence of the flags of a foreign government, the Republic of Mexico. Red, white, green Mexican flags were carried, waved, and draped about the bodies of the young people, some of whom were natural-born American citizens. Flags are a symbol of national identity. Brandishing the Mexican flag signals divided loyalty, or perhaps loyalty, to a foreign power. Loyalty to a foreign power. Serious charge. And it's not just Bob Novak. It's become this common right-wing criticism now. MediaMatters.org put together a montage of all these different people criticizing the flying the Mexican flag at these, at these protests. We've posted a link to their montage at MatterOnline.com. Uh, here's Fred Barnes, one more, from the, from the Weekly Standard, talking about how infuriating it is to see anybody wave the Mexi Mexican flag. I'll tell you what does not help the pro-immigration side. And that was that huge demonstration in Los Angeles yesterday where many, many people were waving Mexican flags. That just alienates Americans. Just alienates Americans. Now here's the awkward part. Right-wing Republican ranting and raving about how horrible and disloyal you are if you wave that Mexican flag, right? Well, guess what George W. Bush is doing in this campaign video from 2004? We all know that the Latino vote could be the deciding factor in the presidential election. When you cast your vote in November, it will be felt. Your day has come, and America is thankful. Usted me conoce, ya sabe quién soy. Mr. President, America needs you. Vaya con Dios. Well, this is the audio track, right? Bush is standing there waving an American flag and hugging a little Latino girl. Bush waving a Mexican flag in this campaign video from 2004. This was distributed to Latino groups around the country. He brags about having immigrants in his administration in this video. You know, except when they're waving the Mexican flag themselves and peeping for immigrant and Latino votes, waving a Mexican flag is somehow off, out of bounds. first and last, look at how the time goes past, but I'm all alone at last, rolling on the
There's so many layers to the story of the latest legislative efforts to reform immigration laws. It's a study of political bywords, for one thing. Criminals takes on a new meeting, and amnesty is loaded and freighted. But those terms, those arguments usually devolve into loaded terms anyway. But there's that fascinating sociological angle of this story, too. Hundreds of thousands of people taking to the streets, rallied by a media that up to now has been nearly invisible to and unheard by many Americans, the increasingly powerful Latino media. Those layers and many more to be peeled back with Peter Laufer. You're probably familiar with Peter's voice. He's been here as my co-host several times on Mother Jones Radio, and he's the author of Wetback Nation, out in paperback. It's the case for opening the Mexican-American border. Peter Laufer, welcome to that chair. It's so nice to be here with you, Angie. You know, before we dive into all these different facets, let's hear the take of the person on the street about illegal immigration. We need amnesty for everybody who works here. We come to work here. Uh, we are not criminal. I think the ones that are illegal should be uh, deported back to their own country. It might not be a really good thing to legalize everybody because not everybody comes to work or try to get ahead. Some people come to get in trouble, too. So maybe it would be like giving a work permit or something like that. Well, I think they've let it get out of hand. Us Americans that live here, all of our jobs are going to other illegal immigrants and we have to pay tax you know, for their medic- medicine and I don't think it's fair for us. We do pay our taxes, we do pay our fees, we do contribute and they should acknowledge that and praise that because not everyone does what we would do. I'm also an immigrant. I came here illegally. It wasn't easy to get here. But, following the law, I stayed. They're never going to stop the border. There are always more and more that are going to come across. So all we're looking for here is general amnesty. This country is really dependent on an underclass of a labor force. And to act like the situation is somehow their fault or that they're responsible for it is really wildly inaccurate, so I don't think they should pay for it. I think we heard almost every point of view in a nutshell there, Peter Laufer. And that really is the immigration story, Angie. And in fact, the way I go about it with with, uh, Wetback Nation is to try to be encompassing instead of divisive. Everybody can agree that the border is out of control. And if we start from that predicate, then maybe we can work toward a solution. You know, one thing that's going to, if it comes off, is going to really startle a lot of Americans is there's a May 1st boycott in the works where Latinos who are organized will not go to work, will not buy anything, will not participate in society in any way whatsoever. A complete stay at home, put your feet up boycott. And it reminds me of of a movie that I didn't see but heard of several years ago. That's a terrific movie. They subtracted the Latino presence from America. A day without a Mexican. What would that really look like? Well, what it would look like, you don't need me to tell you. You can just walk down the street, and the the mythology of gardeners or or other kinds of day laborers is really over. Go into a Japanese restaurant and go in the kitchen. Those are going to be Mexicans working in the kitchen, undoubtedly. Go anywhere. Go to any of the 50 states. Go into a factory. Go into a slaughterhouse. Go into any workplace. And don't stop at the working class. Go on up the classes of our class-filled society and see the penetration of Latinos and Mexicans throughout our culture. This is over. Your subtitle of your book is The Case for Opening the Mexican-American Border. And I followed you through the book as you went to Germany and you saw not only where the wall used to be, but where the wall you had seen used to be. And then after that, you left Germany. I thought to myself, but Peter... After that wall fell down, there was a lot of economic disarray, a lot of unhappiness at the two cultures suddenly blending. 
There is no be-all and fix-all where you take a border away and voila, all is well. Yeah, but essentially, uh, Angie, there already is no border between Mexico and the United States. Any Mexican who really wants to come north comes north. What we've done is criminalize the crossing. What we've done is made that crossing extraordinarily dangerous. And from a selfish standpoint, what we've done is made it so anybody else who wants to come up here, people we don't want up here, can hide in the shadows of those Mexicans. So my suggestion for a solution is simple. Let's just regularize the back and forth. Any Mexican who wants to come up here can come up here through a port of entry. They show some sort of identification. We record it. We know that they're up here. We let them in. And then this massive Border Patrol, with all their high-tech resources, can be used to keep out the people we don't want up here, the terrorists, the murderers, the child molesters, the drug smugglers, the people smugglers. We don't want them here. We want our sushi cooks. Well, you know, as well as I, you know better than I do, that there are people who have designated themselves a border patrol and go out to keep America safe. And it, with the one hand, they describe themselves as caring for and nurturing those Mexicans who otherwise would be hurt coming through an unguarded border. And at the end of the sentence, they call them criminals and you know, baby murderers, et cetera. So. Well, absolutely, those people are in danger. And were the border normalized, then those people wouldn't be in danger because they would be coming up through a port of entry, just as Canadians can come down here as they wish. It is an unbalanced situation. Now, does that mean that the United States would be invaded then? There would be an extraordinary number of Mexicans coming north, and it would be uh, sapping our social services and uh, that sort of argument? Well, all you have to do is look at the Europe you were just talking about. After the initial push of people from East Germany to West Germany when the wall came down, that moderated. When there are no more jobs, when the pull of family is strong and keeps you where your home is, immigration that is motivated by economics can't be controlled by a wall, and we prove that right now. So let's get rid of that wall for Mexicans. How practical is that possibility when you look at, for example, the House bill, which seems to have no way in heck of ever being put together gracefully with a Senate bill, and the House bill defines illegal aliens and anyone who helps them as felons and wants to go ahead and build that fence? Sure they do, but that's for political reasons. They don't really want to build that fence. It can't be built. For political reasons, it can't be built. It can't be built on a practical level because we've proved, again, look at East Germany, we've proved that fences do not keep people in or out. We don't want that wall built because we need the people up here, and we want the people up here. We have a declining birth rate. We have all kinds of jobs that need to be filled, not just jobs that Americans don't want, jobs that there aren't enough people for. One way or the other, that wall, that line, that frontier is going to disappear. We can just do it sooner or later. Peter Laufer is the author of Wetback Nation, The Case for Opening the Mexican-American Border. Those are some of the stories that we're keeping an eye on this morning. But every day here on The Rachel Maddow Show, uh, we do so enjoy poking a sharp stick at the soft white underbelly of the right-wing scheme machine, giving you a little peek at their political playbook. Uh, today's right-wing political tactic uh, on the underbelly is called creating a cauldron of blame. 
a convenient place to dump blame when you don't want to take it on yourself. Uh, it's common political wisdom now. I've been talking about it since l- early last year, and it's common political wisdom now that uh, the Republican Party is having a real hard time with the immigration issue. They're basically punching themselves in the face on this thing. Uh, they're all but fracturing uh, over different approaches within the Republican Party to immigration. On the one hand, on one side, you've got people like the Bushes, like George W. Bush, like Jeb Bush, governor of Florida, uh, people who have always represented corporate interests in their political careers. Uh, Focusing not so much on governing, that's not really, you know, their area of expertise, but they are very good at winning elections. And once they're good at winning elections, what they do when they get into power is that they serve the business interests that created these guys. They're interested in deregulation. They're interested in tax cuts for business and for the wealthy. They're interested in continuing to feed powerless easily exploited low-wage workers to big business. And if that means creating a class of indentured servants, then so be it. They'll do whatever they need to do. They're there to serve business interests. Incidentally, they would also like to keep winning elections, and so they would like some Latino voters to like them as well. That's what's going on on one side of the debate. So, like yesterday, for example, uh, you had Jeb Bush coming out and saying uh, that he thought that the tone of the debate on immigration was hurtful. He made a personal reference to the fact that his wife was born in Mexico. He talked about it being personally hurtful to him. And, you know, and you don't have to be from Mexico or have a spouse from Mexico to find the immigration debate hurtful and divisive. When you're calling people uh, a scourge on the country, when you're comparing their labor to, the, to, to slave labor and prison labor, uh, like the people have been doing on the right, it is hurtful. It is divisive and it is hurtful and it does have real consequences. But, you know, Uh, For Jeb Bush's case, it's not like being a friend to big agribusiness is going to make immigrant workers start singing him love songs anytime soon. So so you've got the corporate types, Bushies among them, that are kind of pushing one side of the immigration debate. On the other side, think about who represents the other side in the Republican Party. It's not the leading lights of the Republican Party. It's not the House Majority Leader. It's not the Senate Majority Leader. It's not the mainstream Republicans. It's this motley collection of two-bit, kooky Republican, far-right, conservative congressmen who you never really heard much about before this debate, except for the fact that they're kooks. Right? People like Tom Tancredo, the nuke mecca guy. People like J.D. Hayworth, right? Uh, Dana Rohrbacher. These guys are not the leading lights of the Republican Party. They're the wing nuts. Uh, and I don't mean that to be derisive. I actually mean that in a descriptive way. They are the far right fringe. And they're from safe Republican districts. They've been in Congress forever. They expect to be. These are not the ready for primetime people in the Republican Party, but they have seized center stage on this issue. Why? Here's my theory. Do you ever listen to their actual arguments about why illegal immigration is such a crisis, about what the horrible effects are of illegal immigration? They say illegal immigration is ruining the schools. It's ruining health care, ruining our infrastructure. It's ruining the housing market. It's ruining wages. It's ruining traffic. It's ruining crime. It's ruining taxes. It's, it's hurting national security even. It's reaching epic proportions, and it must be stanched. It must be stopped. It's getting out of control. Here's the thing. Here's the actual fact here. The Woodrow Wilson School at Princeton University has been studying Mexican immigration to the United States since 1982. Federally funded study. Funded by the U.S. government. What that study has found is that if you control for population growth, right, in both countries, and you understand what you're dealing with in terms of population, there has been no increase in undocumented immigration from Mexico to the United States in the last 25 years. It's not going up. 
There are not more illegal immigrants coming into the country now than there were 25 years ago. It's not going up. But you know what is going up? The need of these piddly, third-rate, safe-seat, conservative, wing-nut members of Congress. Their need to come up with a convenient, catch-all repository of blame for all the things they've never been able to deliver to their constituents. Schools, health care, taxes, traffic, the housing market, crime, all of these things that they blame on being, they're bad because of immigrants. You know what? They're not bad because of immigrants. They're bad because you're a bad legislator. They're bad because your party and your, your ideology is bad at governing because you think that government can't do anything right. So when you get in charge of running the government, you don't do anything right. You have been unable to deliver for your constituents, and therefore, you are the guys who are most vehemently trying to deliver and blame everything you haven't been able to do on the people least able to fight back. That's what's going on. I know some so poor. When it rains, that's when they shower. Scream and fight the power. Jorge Castaneda is the former foreign minister of Mexico, and he now teaches at uh, NYU. So, Senor Castaneda, bienvenido. Well, thank you very much. Um, President Bush and Mexican President Fox are meeting in, in Cancun. What You worked for Fox. What, what will he be pushing for when he meets with the president on immigration? Well, I imagine he will be insisting, as he has for five years now, for more than five years, actually, that President Bush, Bush spend the political capital he has in trying to get something resembling the Senate bill through <clears throat> the Congress and have it become law, hopefully before President Fox leaves office on December 1st. Fox staked a lot on this from the very beginning of his administration. A lot of progress was made the first nine or so months until 9-11. It's been on a back burner until now. And there is a, a possibility today of getting much of what Mexico has always fought for. Not everything, but that's the way these things are, but a lot of what we've always wanted. What does a temporary worker program have to include, in your view, to make it acceptable? Well, uh, first, separating it from the question of Mexicans already in the U.S., but a temporary worker program for Mexicans who are not in the U.S. has to include, first, the right kind of numbers. Frankly, the number of 400,000 that I've seen bandied around or that may actually bill in, be in the Senate Judiciary Committee bill is a little low. It's low in terms of the demand of the American economy because something like <clears> – <throat> Five or 600,000 people come from abroad to the United States every year without papers, not all Mexicans, and they all find jobs, mm -hmm. which means the demand is there. So the number is not perfect. Uh, secondly, it has to be for a sufficient period of time. Uh, I think the six years, the three-year renewable is right, but not less. It should have a path, a path to residence and then to citizenship for those people who want it. Now, remember, uh, those Mexicans who are in the United States today will most likely take up any possibility of applying for residence and citizenship. But those who would begin to come for six months a year, let's say next year with this new program, may not want to live in the United States. 
they may actually want to keep on living in Mexico, mm-hmm. but coming to work six months a year in the U.S. So it has to have a path, but for those who want it, not for everybody. If they don't want it, that's a second condition. And a third very important one is together that it be portable, that you can go from one job to another, that you're not stuck in the same job that you originally uh, apply for, and that the working conditions, um, OSHA, um, wages, uh, security, etc., be uh, humane, decent, secure, and they be uh, overseen by appropriate U.S. federal or state agencies. In this debate, there are a lot of social conservatives in this country who uh, who are among the most vocal opponents of Mexican immigration and, and, and any kind of guest worker program or anything like that because they say immigration threatens the fabric of our society. But it doesn't make sense to me, and I'd like to get your, your, your take on it. It seems to me that the people who are coming into this, into this country from Mexico and from Latin America have the kind of values that these social conservatives should love, importance, the importance of family, uh, the importance of going to church, uh, traditional ideas of family structure, forming neighborhood groups and, and things like that. I, I, I mean, I, Aren't what we call in this country traditional values very important to Mexicans? Well, Mexico is a very traditional country. Mexican society is very conservative, very um, reluctant to change, very church-going, very strong believer in family. Um, as with many countries, uh, you know, all, some of these things are all true and some are not. <laughs> but the fact is, Mexicans see themselves this way. And I think that people like David Brooks in the New York Times today and other days have it quite right. The people who are coming from Mexico and Central America to the United States are people with very traditional conservative social values, um, who uh, strengthened those values in the United States. And many experts consider, for example, the decline in crime rates in the United States over the last 10 years to be a product partly of immigration, that is, of people who are coming from abroad and who bring these values with them. Here's my here's my last question for you. When when President Fox came in, into office, it was before nine eleven. Uh, when he came into office, he seemed to have a vision of a of sort of a North American community where where people as well as goods and services could move much more freely from one country to another. And it seems, and, and I may be wrong on this point, but it's it seems that that he was talking about something that might include a more porous border. That that would be be part of that. Uh, has he given up on that vision? I don't think so. On the contrary, I think he's closer to that vision today than before, because if anything, the meeting of the three heads of government or state today in Cancun with Canada gives a strong impulse to this notion of a North American community, of transforming NAFTA into something more than just a free trade agreement. And I think Fox's vision is more uh, present and current today than ever before, and I think he was quite right in fighting for this, and I think it will be one of his legacies. His, uh, his term, as you mentioned, ends in December. There's an election in, in July, I think it is. And, and you were going to run for president, weren't you? I tried to run as an independent candidate. Uh, the political parties in Mexico decided that they didn't want to share the privilege of allowing people to run for office with anybody who wasn't part of them. It's a very corrupt and discredited party system. Um, because it belongs to the past, and they refused to let an outsider run, probably because they were scared of what would happen. So they didn't let me on the ballot, 
and uh, so I have to wait till next time, but I'll be around. Well, I I, uh, I hope you uh, persevere and uh, persevere and prevail because I think you could probably make a pretty good president. Jorge Castaneda, the former uh, foreign minister of Mexico, thanks very much for being on the program. Thank you very much, Willie. Throw my ticket out the window. Throw my suitcase out there too. Throw my troubles out the door. I don't need them anymore. Tonight I'll be staying here with you. I should have left this town this morning. But it was more than I could do Oh, your love comes on so strong And I've waited all day long For tonight, I'll be staying here You know, I noticed in that crowd there was a lot of American flags there, Jesus. Uh, and, you know, i got to give you guys credit. It was a nice effort. You know, hey, look at us. Well, We're and a-, a correction as well as an effort because they'd been criticized as a group for, for flashing and flagging. What was it? What did you say? Wagging and flagging. Wagging and flagging. They're Mexican flags. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what do we think there, Jesus? A little overcompensation? Uh, did, was the word out on the street that, hey, you know, we got criticized on Fox News Channel for the Mexican flags. Everybody bring, like, three and a half American flags apiece? Uh, let's put a Jesus on the mic here in a second. Yeah. All right, as he goes uh, ever so slowly to the <laughs> mic. <laughs> All right. No, what was the question again? Yeah, the, what's, did, uh, was the word out on the street that hey, everybody bring like three and a half American flags apiece because you know they got you guys got criticized for the Mexican flags etc. Before? No, I mean it was encouraged for everybody to have an American flag. Other than a Mexican flag, I mean, I saw a lot of Mexican flags, I saw a lot of Salvadorian flags, a lot of Colombian flags, a whole bunch of different flags, but... So you knew what the Salvadoran flag was? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But the majority was definitely the U.S. flag, so I saw a lot of that. Uh, Michael, it's a Hispanic thing, you wouldn't understand. I guess totally. So, uh, basically, the word on the street was, hey, look, we're not going to put our Mexican flags or our Colombian flags down. Uh, we're right, not, right, right. But you know what? We're going to bring even, like, a sea of American flags right, so right. no one's confused about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, any sense from it being in the crowd, uh, what percentage uh, legal, what percentage illegal? To be honest, it seemed like the majority seemed... I, no, I couldn't tell, to be honest. No. Well, there's no like to me, gaydar seems, for illegal right. immigrants. I mean, you don't like you don't say, oh, that guy's an illegal. I mean, right. But it seemed like plenty of them look young, and it could be someone like me who were citizens who were born here, who were just there representing for their parents, maybe, or f- for someone else. You know what I mean? Did it's you get the idea that most people are there to rally for how immigrants affect the country, or? How the illegal immigrants have a great effect on the country at this point, and the, ci- and the process to becoming a citizen needs to be a little smoother, faster, easier, et cetera. 
It's a little bit of both, I felt. There's plenty of people that were, you know, we're immigrants, let's legalize everybody, which I felt like, I mean, you can't be extreme, you know what I mean? I felt like those were the extreme individuals. I felt mm-hmm. like you can't be extreme. There's no way they could just legalize everybody, but... Then there was also the other ones who were like, I've been here 30 years of my life, and yeah. and also I've people been who working. Lived. But yeah. if they were here for 30 years in 1982, presumably they would right. have gotten amnesty anyway, right? I mean, that's yeah. And like I said, and some of those were there, fighting for the ones who are currently still here and yeah. fighting for what they want. You know what I mean? Just to have an equal, the equal rights that anybody else could have. You know were there I mean? were there counter demonstrators? Did you see any? I saw some of them, but the majority were. Pro-immigration. Yeah. You, you didn't really see any... Well, I didn't run into any of that. Were there any white folks there? Yeah, totally. Oh, there were. Oh, yeah. And were they like Dave trying to get laid, or was it just like, <laughs> you know, camaraderie, we're liberals, hey, why not? It seemed like it was a camaraderie. Okay. Any black folks there? Yeah. Oh, there were. Plenty okay. of everybody. That was really cool. It was a great experience for me. Was, I was very happy I went, actually. Oh, that's great. very fun. How, how, about oh, the, good. Uh, how about Jill's earlier question? The Orientals, did they show up? Um, there were some Orientals, but I only went to the one in <laughs> I went to the one in downtown. I didn't go to the one in MacArthur Park. That went through the Wilshire District. That was the one. Oh, in so downtown. that goes through Korea. That You're one went through Korea. Right. right. There. Okay. Yeah. I got you. you know, there's a whole town dedicated to them. <laughs> See. <laughs> It, yeah, in L.A. Uh, and so uh, what was the final bottom line? Did you or did you not get laid? Mm, well, no, I didn't get laid. Uh-huh. Did you but try? were there hot chicks there? No, there was a lot of lovely girls, yeah. Did you get fun. any numbers? No. When's the next one? He's so, I don't get it. Is there going to be another one? <laughs> um, I hope there's another one. Yeah, there's, now I think you'll have a oh, lot yeah. more people going. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm, yeah, I'm getting a little tired of that movie. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, Die Hard 2 is okay. Die Hard 3 is getting really pushing the envelope there. This is Cenk Uger from the Young Turks on the Best of the Left podcast. If you like what you hear, please go to our website, theyoungturks.com, where you can watch the show every day from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also participate in discussion forums or live chat with the Young Turks fans. And you can support liberal political programming by becoming a TYT member or by purchasing Young Turks merchandise. All that at theyoungturks.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. Just wanted to throw out a quick reminder as the show uh, continues to go through uh, growing pains that I have uh, spoken of in the past, that um, if you're interested in the archives, then uh, go to the MP3 feed of the show, not the iTunes feed, because that's just the way things worked out, uh, is the short story. Anyways, so go to bestoftheleftpodcast.com, click on MP3 feed, follow the instructions that's how to get all the old shows if uh, if you missed any, if you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, basically. Also, um, if you're interested in telling other people about the show, there's a couple of real easy ways to do it that, uh, you know, they don't even have to download the show right on the homepage. I just haven't mentioned this in a while, but right on the homepage, there is a link to not only my promo, but also um, a poo-poo player. That's not a dirty word when you're talking about podcasting, uh, and it's it's just a button you can click right on the homepage and uh, stream the show right from there. It's totally self-explanatory. So if you're uh, 
interested in spreading the word about the show, I would appreciate it very much. And that's just an, a good way to do it so that, you know, your friends don't have to go and get the feed and download the show just to hear what the hell you keep going on and on about. That's all I'm going to say today. Have a good one, everybody.